we will turn to Haggai and we will read from the New American Standard Version. In the second year of Darius, the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while the house, this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but one is warm enough and not warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we do come to you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you'd be exceeding gracious to us tonight. As we come to your word, it is a word of truth. It is a word that is, I believe, in season. It is a word which was written at one of those worst times and yet best times in the life of Judah. Where they could truly say it is the worst of times. And yet you spoke to them, Lord, and they could say it is the best of times. And so, Lord, I pray, as we come to you tonight, may your word be ever true. May it be a word that challenges our hearts, challenges us as a church, moves us and motivates us for your glory and your kingdom. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But when we come to Haggai, one would really have to look at Ezra chapter 34 to get a picture of what's happening. So you can go and read Ezra chapter 35 uh, tonight, later, before you go to sleep. But just take my word for it at the moment that Ezra 34 is the setting for the scene. So what we have is Haggai coming to a nation... To give them a specific word. The setting of course is Judah. Had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And we, we considered that. Um, with one of the previous prophets. How uh, the Babylonians were coming. And they were warned they were coming. And God said in his word they are coming. And it's for certain they, they will come. And they did come. And they took them into captivity. And now we're going to jump 70 years plus. In fact, to be accurate, 88 years from that day they were taken into captivity. Because after 70 years, Darius the king, he declared that these people must go back because of a decree 
by Cyrus. And so the first group of Jews return to Jerusalem. But now remember what Jerusalem is nowadays, Judah. When these people were taken, they would take all the nobles. They would take all the military men. They would take all the learned men and women. They would take the best, the cream of Judah. And they'd leave behind those who were frail, those who were sickly, those who were dying, and, and even those who, to their interpretation, and they might have had some measure of test, were not intelligent enough or strong enough to do work or qualified enough. They would leave them behind. So in a sense, uh, not necessarily the, the, the rebel that they left behind or the rubble they left behind, but the weakest part of the nation remained behind. They wanted intellectuals. They wanted strong men to come and work. They wanted young women who were healthy, who, who would um, continue to, to bear children. And, and they wanted young boys who would come and be trained in the things of, of Babylon. And we know how, how they did that with Daniel. And so we have Judah... A remnant of Judah returning or a portion of Judah returning to Jerusalem. But in Judah in those days, because this large nation has been taken away, maybe three million have been taken away to Babylon, the land is emptied of its farmers. It's emptied of its many of its uh, places of instruction. It's emptied of its businesses. And so we find... Wandering tribes moving in and settling down. And on top of that, it's quite likely the Babylonians would take people and, and, and settle them there. And that's where we get the, the, the Aramean group that settled there. And there's a mix. Along comes Zerubbabel coming to Judah. And they're going to start building. The locals who were Jewish, not the foreigners, they come to them and say, hey, we want to help you. But they're not sincere. I'm not sure how, but the word of God suggests that they, they were turned aside. They were sent back. And so, they're angry with these Jews who have now returned. They've been in the land all this time for 70 years. Now these uh, Jewish people come, their, their, their brothers and uh, fellow tribesmen come from uh, Babylon, which by then was under Media Persia, and, and, and they want them to, they want to rebuild the temple, and they offer their help, but they are turned down, they reject it. So they're angry, and what do they do? They, they turn to the authorities, they write letters, and they say to the authorities, listen, we don't want this temple to go on. And sadly, the building on the temple is stopped for 18 years. 18 years the temple is not being built. In that 18 years, surely they could have again gone and appealed to the, the, the authorities, can't we, we build? Or gone to those who had pro prohibited them and, and tried to negotiate. There might have been some uh, negotiation and some attempts, but for 18 years the temple... Is still in waste. And so God sends a man who will speak to their hearts. Haggai the prophet. And we read in scripture that in the second year of Darius the king on the first day of the sixth month the word of the Lord came 
by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah. Haggai goes to the governor. The governor was the one who brought this group to build on the temple and he's been stymied for so long. And he says to Zerubbabel, it's time. It's time to build. But listen to what the people say. The time has not come. Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Think about it. God sends a prophet. There's not many prophets running around Judah in those days. Certainly not one that the Lord has sent in this way. And he comes to Zerubbabel and he says it's time. But Zerubbabel informs him. But the people say the time has not come. Why, why have I sent my prophet? No, no, the time has not come. Even time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And so we read in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying. Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. While the house, this house lies in, in desolation. And we need to understand, 18 years is a long time. I think we can do quite a lot in 18 years. But what have they been doing for those 18 years? They've been building their own houses. And, and this story of paneled houses, well, it would be very appropriate now in wintertime, especially when the wind blows. They used to panel them with, with timber so that it would stop out the draft. So they'd probably have a house or might be out of timber, it might be out of uh, clay or whatever, but they'd panel it on the inside to make it warm and to stop a draft from blowing through the house. It would add to their comfort. So they, they, have, they have their houses, but they are making their houses even more comfortable. Is it time for you to yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, this house lies in ruins? I would ask the question... If this time has not come, then when? If this time has not come, then when? And I want us to think in terms of our own lives, of others in the church, not only this church, but the broader church, and certainly in the life of this church. Let's ask the question to our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's ask the question of ourselves. Let's ask the question of this church. And the church in South Africa. If this is not the time. Then when? So Haggai. Asks a rhetorical question. Is it time? For yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. While the house, this house lies desolate. And the implied answer to a rhetorical question. Is either yes or no isn't it? And the answer here is obviously no. It's not time to dwell in your paneled houses. And then Haggai goes on to another point and he enforces this principle by saying, okay, you're building in your paneled houses. You say, let's wait a year, not now, and another year before we do it. And so the Lord of hosts says through the prophet Haggai, consider your ways. And we'll find he, he repeats this in verse 7 as well. Consider your ways. And so Haggai is laying a foundation now as he asks him to consider your ways. Because the next verse, uh, we need to see in light of that consideration. Consider your ways. 
Consider your life. Consider what you've been doing. For 18 years, what have you been doing? And the implication is that for 18 years, this is the result. Verse 6. You've sown much, but the harvest is small. Or you harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Consider your ways. In verse 7 again. Well, why is this so? Why is it that they have sown and yet harvested little? Let's look at this just for a moment. They have sown. Are these a lazy people? No, they've been working. They've tilled the ground. You don't sow in ground that isn't tilled. They've tilled the ground. They've labored. They've worked hard. They've done all they can. But their harvest is small. And from their produce, because their harvest is small, it's an ongoing thing. They eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. I I wouldn't suggest that they are are actually going hungry, but there's barely enough to go around. You drink and there is not enough to become drunk. Well, we won't go down that road, will we? Well, it's there, isn't it? Well, even if you wanted to, there's not enough. There's nothing to satisfy your thirst. Nothing to satisfy your hunger. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. They labor. These people have been laboring. Even those who don't own businesses or farms, the, the, the workers, they earn wages. But their wages seem to fall through holes in their, in their purses, in their wallets. And here's the issue. They have been busy. They have been doing, they have been working, and they've been doing everything honest and above board. They're not found guilty here of doing things wrongly. They haven't been cheating one another. They haven't been uh, lazy or lying around. They've been working hard. But the problem is, Haggai is saying, consider your ways. It's not that they shouldn't be doing this. It's that when they do this, it's failing. Why is it failing? And the scripture will give us a very clear reason, because my house lies in ruins. There are important things in life that we need to get in order first. I, I think of, of moving when we moved here. And we're still moving, by the way. We haven't moved, finished. But there were some things we needed to get here first, like the really heavy stuff. So there's not stuff to hinder you. In with the fridge and in with this and that. A couple of the big things first. And then, then you come with the with with smaller furniture. And then you come with boxes and then you can unpack it easier. There's always a process and a progress. And if your process is right, your progress is correct. And they've moved into the land again. They've come back to their homeland. They should be so joyful. Yes, they, have, they can justify the fact that they aren't building because these Jews that remain behind have, have stopped us. They've got in our way. They've hindered us. And the work has stopped. But 18 years... You know, I think if we didn't pay a debt, and uh, I think it gets to about 90 days, and then you get a little red letter, don't you? Something like that. The world is not patient with us if we don't act. 
But how patient is God? 18 years. And eventually God gets to the point. He says, so long and no longer I'm sending my servant Haggai and he will speak to your hearts. Consider your ways. Carry on in verse 9. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. You bring it home. Notice who blows it away there. The wind? No, I blow it away. I want you to see something. They're standing in the way of God's house. And it's almost as though God's standing in the way of their house. Because their priorities are wrong. Consider your ways, your priorities. Let's, let's use a modern word. Consider your priorities. When your priorities are right, something's going to change. But your priorities are not right, so you labor and you work and you struggle and you strive and you do all good things that I, I would... God, looking upon a people, would say, these are good things you're doing, but you're doing it in a wrong manner. Why? Because your priorities are wrong. Your priority must be my house. And so they sow. And they plant. Verse 9, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Again, why, declares the Lord, of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Wow, that's quite a heavy. Because of you. In fact, that is pretty nasty, but direct. Now, you'd wonder that a prophet like Haggai. Wouldn't be something like Jeremiah being stoned and chased out of the city walls, being thrown into prison. And of course, it's not a king, but Zerubbabel, who's actually of the priestly house as well, who's hearing what he's got to say. Consider your ways. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. Verse 11. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil. On what the ground produces. On men, on cattle and on the labor of your hands. Who called for it? God called for it. Because they have their priorities wrong. The time, they say, has not come. If the time has not come, the rhetorical question is, then when? Then when will you build on my house? So Haggai Comes with this harsh word. But in a sense it's not harsh. And I'll tell you why it's not harsh. Do you see any threats here? If you do not build on my house. I will. No. What's actually happened here. The dangers already happened. Because you haven't. That's already happened. It's like. I don't have to do any more. It's already happened. So from Haggai's perspective, he's coming to guide his people, the people of God, to encourage them, consider your ways. He, those are gentle words. I don't think there are more gentle words to someone who hasn't built on God's house for 18 years. Consider your ways. It's almost as though you would, a father would maybe talk to a daughter or a son and say, I wish you wouldn't do that. Maybe in the back of your mind you're thinking, I could have got a spanking for that. And so a father heart or a mother heart for that moment just goes to their child and says, listen, I wish you wouldn't do that. Consider your ways. I want you to change your ways rather than be punished. Change your ways. And this is the point. 
if this is what's happened, if you haven't built on the, the, the house of the Lord for 18 years, what awaits you if you consider, do not consider your ways rather. So I wonder, what about us? What about the church? How do we apply that to the church? Consider your ways. Well, firstly, I want to suggest, let's look at the scripture and draw it from scripture. What's the church's biggest problem? The time has not come. I think it's the church's biggest problem. We want to go and do things. We want to do so much, in fact, as a church in South Africa and worldwide. But what does it really mean to build on the house of the Lord? It's to extend the kingdom, isn't it? To proclaim Christ. And the church has, in many ways, become just like Israel or Judah of old. They are not building paneled houses, they are building paneled churches. There are some magnificent structures in the world. I wonder, and, and I do love some of those structures, especially in Europe, where you see the design is so intertwined with, with biblical thinking. Uh, I remember even in Irene at the school, at a little chapel, uh, they have a, a little chapel there, and there are five windows on one side and five windows on the other side. You can think for yourself. There's... Twelve rows, six rows and six rows of, of, of um, pews in this little uh, chapel building at Irene Primary. And, and when they designed it, they designed it trying to do it in a manner that would give glory to the gospel. And there would always be a, a numerical value that is great. And, and I think that's wonderful. And I, I have no problem with that. But then, and that's just a small little chapel, but you go to some of these magnificent places in Europe and they have similar ideas and similar thoughts, but they're overlaid with, literally overlaid with gold. I think someone showed me on the way down to, was it, I was Charles, the, the Orthodox Church. Beautiful. And so I understand that that's like a gold dome, real gold. Wow, imagine how many... People down in Neisner could be fed. I, I think we always have to get our priorities right. What is building on God's kingdom and what is paneling the structures? And, and I don't just mean the physical structures. I can point to things which I would suggest is equivalent. A pastor flying from South Africa to a conference, let's say, in the States. Business class. 72,000 rand. Or cattle class, my class, 14,000 rand. If it's God's money in the sense of church, and I know if you're going to be in a conference overseas, you need to be sharp and you need to be well rested and a whole lot of stuff. Go a day early. It's cheaper to, to book in for an extra day in a room than spend 40,000 more on a, on, a, on a flight ticket. Well, 50,000. The church is in danger of paneling its houses, its, its places of worship, its structures. I think there's a, there's a problem when a pastor earns inordinate sums of money. I do believe pastors must be looked after. I've always held to that. But if the salary or the earnings is inordinate to what he's doing and to what the needs are of the people, I, I just think it's wrong. Some churches in the, within the Baptist Union, they have a, a kind of 
Measuring stock. A pastor will always earn the, the, the equivalent salary of the average person in the church. Others will say, well, if you've got a diploma, you should get that much, a degree and a master's, and, and if you've got a doctorate, you can get a bit more. I'm okay with that. I think pay the man the wage he deserves. However, there are some that get totally out of proportion, and that is like paneling their own houses, isn't it? Because he's going to take that huge sums of money. It's not going into missions, I can assure you. It's going into his own cars and his own houses. God says, the danger is that it might change. And then you will notice that you will sow much and harvest little. I want to put that in the context of the church. It's not the context of our text. Sometimes a church sows, but they don't harvest much. Why? Because they're spending money in the wrong places. And so they do sow, not much, but they do sow, and they say, but nothing comes of my sowing. I don't see salvation in the church. I don't see souls coming to Christ. What does God say? Because your priorities are wrong. So I think as a church, we are called to consider our ways. As the people of God were in, his, in Judah. As a church in Reyes Kral, as the church in South Africa, we are called to consider our ways. Listen now how this gentle word of considering your ways, Haggai tells him what to do. I just think this is marvelous. Haggai doesn't come up with a ten-point plan that is so intricate and so difficult that you've got to memorize a whole lot of stuff. He just says simply, you're going to rebuild the temple. Go to verse 8. What must you do? Go up the mountains. Bring wood and rebuild the temple. Well, how simple is that instruction? Go up, bring wood, prepare the wood, get it ready, cut it to size, bring it down. You might not be laborers that can build on a, on a temple, but you might be the kind of laborer that can cut down wood. Go and cut the wood so long. Just get going. And, and this, I believe, is a vital thing. And it's my... I don't want to say philosophy in Christian ministry because I'm, I'm very wary of the word philosophy. But if I could use that term just very narrowly for a moment. It's my philosophy is go up the mountain, cut the jolly tree down, bring it down and then see what you can do next. Because if you haven't got the tree, you can't build the temple. Go and cut the tree down. Just go, get out there, go, cut the tree down. Get busy with God's work, get your priorities right. And you watch... Your work at home, the, the, the sowing you do at home, you will start to reap a decent crop. And I believe when you see it in the lives of individuals who sow in the kingdom of God. And yet, they always have a plenty because God is returning to them. Now, I'm not a, a prosperity preacher of sowing and reaping in the sense of prosperity. Because you never see the, the, the word sowing linked to money, just by the way. It's never linked to money. Never, ever, ever. But I believe sowing in God's kingdom in varied ways. Not all of us can do the same things. Some of us will cut the wood. Some of us will shape the wood. Some of us will cart the wood. And some will start to rebuild. We all do different tasks. And, and sowing into God's kingdom might mean standing at the door greeting. Um, someone remarked to me that, you know, 
Wendy is very good at greeting. <laughs> I see when, when someone comes here, Wendy greets them. And, and I, I say that not to embarrass you, but just to say that's good. That's what we should be doing. We should be uh, going to people and say, welcome to the church of God. Welcome to the house of God. Notice this house doesn't lie desolate. Our hearts are living. We're on fire for God. We want to build a house and, and we want to invite you to come and build with us if that's the, the case. But if we don't get our priorities right, there's a real danger here. And the danger is this. That God will send a drought to the church. I called for a drought on the land, verse 11, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on labor of all your hands' work. I called for a drought. I think Haggai, unlike the other prophets, comes kindly, gently, as it were. And he says, consider your ways. And I'd like us as a church, and we're going to be having a meeting in three weeks' time. And maybe we can spend some time considering our ways. But what as individuals, let's consider are our priorities right? Well, I'm speaking to the, 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 the converted, because you're all here tonight. You have got your priorities right. But there are other areas we can maybe fine-tune our priorities, can't we? I want to encourage you. Consider your ways. Go up the mountain. Bring the wood. Rebuild the temple. Why? Listen to this. I love this. This is God's words. That I may be pleased with it. And be glorified. Let's pray. Merciful God our Father. I thank you for your word. And Lord we have. In one sense a, a massive task at hand. And if we think we. Ought to be doing everything. We will be overwhelmed. But let's grab someone by the hand. And go up the mountain. Let's go where you send us. Do what you show us. I pray Lord that. This church would grow in its doing. I'm not suggesting it hasn't grown. But Lord, I pray with our, our doing would be, would be more. That we would put your kingdom first. It's not about just building numbers into the church. It's about building your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that we will be able to reach the lost. For Lord, they are lost. And they need to be found. That we may be those that you've chosen to put them on the path to salvation. Where they are found by you. Brought into the kingdom. Saved. And so Lord we, we can look at the work, the great commission as one aspect. Because your own scriptures Lord says to us that the work is plenty but the laborers are few. And so, Lord, I pray that we would go and find laborers, people who are not in churches, people who are maybe not saved, that we lead to Christ, that we add to your number, O Lord. For this was the first group that came and returned from, from Babylon, but there was another that came later. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see wave upon wave of people coming into your kingdom. And perchance, Lord, that we might benefit we would be ever so grateful and thankful to you for it. 
But may we build. Let us go to the mountain. For the glory of Christ and your wonderful name. We pray this in your name. Amen.